this is Chad Seabright with Lebanon House of Prayer in Tennessee. We host a special conference in the summer for pastors, ministry leaders, and anyone hungry for more of God's presence. If you want to get updates about our next Behold Conference and how you can join us, go to thebeholdconference.com and click on the button that says Get Notified. Here is a special message from the Behold Conference 2023. I pray this message will bless you richly. I felt like a few, maybe about a week or so ago, the the Lord gave me a word for tonight. But even yesterday, I was telling April, like, I just don't, I don't feel right. Like, I felt a weightiness and a heaviness. And, And like, I'm not trying to be weird, but I don't feel like it was my weightiness or heaviness. But like I, I felt the weightiness that, that those that were traveling across the country were feeling and experiencing before you came into this place tonight. And <laughs> as I was thinking about that, I was even, April and I were talking about even this morning, I was, I was thinking about even my own weightiness and my own journey. I was thinking about back to 2012. 2012, April and I, we were pastoring a small church, a wonderful church in Louisiana. And we had, I'm going to be honest, like we, we, we were naive enough to believe that like we were going to go there and the place was going to like catch fire and we were going to see God move mightily. And God did move mightily, but it was not anything that we thought it was going to be. And in my immaturity and my arrogance, I was... <laughs> I was to the point to where I was ready to quit because we weren't seeing the the quote-unquote numerical growth that we thought we were going to see in the time in which we thought that we were going to see it. And so in 2012, it must have been, it was October of 2012, Pastor Steve Hunt, he's now retired. At that time, he was pastoring Friendship Church of Nazarene and, and Friendship Louisiana. Steve Hunt calls me and says, Michael, there's a conference in Fort Worth, Texas that I feel led of the Lord that you're supposed to go to. And like, that wasn't Steve's personality. He was a gentleman. Like, he would never like, he would never enforce, he was, he's the definition of what a pastor is. And I said, and of course, at that time, like we were, like we were like scrounging change to buy ramen noodles, like poor. Anyone know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm immediately thinking at that time, April's working 90 minutes away from the house. So she's driving from Natchitoches, Louisiana to Shreveport, 90 minutes and then 90 minutes back. Like that was, that was our life during that time. And we had, and she's doing that, and and then I'm like I'm responsible for watching her son and and getting him home and all that type of stuff at that time, and 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 I told Steve I'm like you know a couple things Steve like I I, I can't I I can't come. One, I can't come because the logistics of like, who's going to take care of our boy while April's working an hour and a half away from the house, right? Like that's not going to work out. And two, like we're, we, we just can't, we can't afford, we can't afford to breathe, let alone like, <laughs> like travel all the way to Texas. And he says, okay, Michael, no problem. And it wasn't 10 minutes. 
It wasn't 10 minutes later that he calls me back and he says, here's the deal. I called your church board secretary who actually lived kind of behind me and I called him. He's going to take care of your son. I contacted my church and, and actually what I'm going to do is we've already got a hotel room. I already switched the room to a double bed. And so you're going to share a room with me. And when I contacted my church, they were giving me, Michael, a food allowance. And now my church is going to take care of you for a food allowance too. And so then I didn't have any excuses. <laughs> and so, so we, go, we go there, we go there. Now, I'm going to be honest. Again, it's frustrating because we weren't seeing the results we wanted to see or that we thought we should see, right? And, and we go there. Or Pastor Steve and I go there. And, and I remember thinking to the Lord on my way there. I thought, Lord, if you don't give me something to fix my church, I'm going to quit. And I'm going to go back and I thought, I'm going to go back into like the car business or do something where I can make some money, make six figures. I'm going to do that, God. And so I can take care of my family. You got to give me something to fix the church. That's so arrogant. And I get there and I wasn't there five minutes. I was not there five minutes and the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, Michael, it's not your church that needs fixed, it's you. And the reason why I tell that story, the reason why I tell that story because before that I was trying every little thing that the denomination was saying was working at the big church at another state or location, right? I was looking at all these other great big pastors that I wanted to emulate, right? And these were all clean cut guys. And I'm thinking, that's not me anyway, right? <laughs> They're print proper you know, and that's not me. And anyway, I was trying all these things and frustrated. And I just go back and I told the people, I told April, but I told the people, I said, I'm not going to do anything other, I'm not going to do anything else other than this. Actually, I tried to resign. I said, if you want me to quit and resign, I'll resign. But if you'll have me, we're going to do everything we can do now from this day forward to pursue the presence of the Lord. We're not going to change the subject from that point. And then they started to come forward. And I didn't know like if they were like coming forward to bum rush me. <laughs> right? There's this really weird and awkward. And next thing I know, they all surround me and lay hands on me and say, we're going to follow. But I say that. I say that because I feel like that this is that for many of you this week. That I, I, I know, I know there's people that's tired. There's people that's weary. There's people that's frustrated. There's people that's going, God, I just need that one thing that's going to fix my church or else I'm done with it. And the Lord is going to do a work in your heart. The Lord, and I don't say that out of arrogance. I say that out of the utmost confidence that the Lord's going to do a work in your heart where it's not just a conference, but it's going to be something that you can look back 11 years later and you're going to be able to say, this is when everything changed for me. So if you will, <laughs> look at Genesis 29. I'm going to work through Genesis 29 like it's, it's crazy. The last two times I've been with Rob, I've like worked through a passage like exegetically. I'm not that guy, but we're going to do it. So I'm like the guy. Now here's what's going to happen. And again, it's going to happen because I believe the Lord told me. But here's what's going to happen tonight is you're going to leave this room different. You're going to leave this room changed. And you all like over there in like the cage section, like you all are going to have to like 
hurdle the, the deal if you're going to get first fruits blessing this week. <laughs> Jeremiah just like, just step over. <laughs> We're going to work through this passage and what I believe is, is that by the time tonight's over, the Lord's going to touch your hearts. And all it's going to do is lay the groundwork for what the rest of these very anointed ministers are going to share this week. It's just it's like I'm, I'm just going to break up some fallow ground for a little bit. All right. So Genesis 29, I want to like read a little bit, then talk and read a little bit. Probably holler, spit a little bit too. That's all right. Genesis 29, we'll start with verse 10. When Jacob, I'm going to talk about Jacob. I'm going to talk about Jacob, Rachel, and Leah tonight. All right, so when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. All right, so, so, so Jacob's looking for a bride. And he comes across Rachel by the way, the name Rachel, when you look at the name Rachel, Rachel means innocent lamb. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But he sees this one that's identified as innocent lamb. And he begins to say, I found the thing that I've been looking for. I found the one that I'm looking for. Because he, he lifts his voice and he begins to weep, lift his voice. He begins to cry. And not just cry, like he began to like, it's not bubble cry, right? Like oh, he began to ugly cry. And he lifted up his voice in triumph that like, I finally found the one I've been looking for. I found my kinsmen. I found my family. We're not going to get hung up on all that stuff. But, but he, found, he found the one he was looking for. He found his great passion, if you will. Now, if you look at this tonight with me from a little bit of a prophetic lens, I know that there's many of us in this room, we all started off with a great passion. I had one July 15th, 07, when the Lord, when I gave my life to the Lord and became born again, like I had a passion. I wanted to follow the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, right? I wanted to do that, but I also felt the call to preach and minister and see people saved, healed, delivered, and set free and come into the kingdom of God, right? Like that was the passion that I started out with. Many of you, if you start to think about, you can remember the moment that the Lord called you, right? And he called you, he ordained you. Many of you, like the Lord called to say, like you're gonna see revival, whatever language you wanna, use. The Lord has called you. So we start off with these great passions. And how many understand that sometimes you start off with a great passion and then you wonder how in the world did I end up where I'm at? So verse 12, Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that that, that he was Rebecca's son, and, and she ran and told her father. So that when Laban heard the news, when Laban heard the news of, of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him, and he brought him inside his house, and, and then he related to Laban all these things. 
And Laban said to him, surely you are the bone of my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. And then Laban said this, because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? What shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Rachel was beautiful, a form and face. Verse 18, now Rachel, or I'm sorry, now Jacob loved Rachel. And so he said, I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other guy, right? You might be my relative, it's better I give her to you. I thought that was funny. <laughs> and so Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. So he had this great passion and it was her. It was this Rachel. Like Jacob's original dream and passion was for an innocent lamb named Rachel. And again, if you'll work with me for just a few minutes here, we've all had an original passion and dream. And that dream was to see the innocent lamb and to see him receive his full reward in your life. By the way, we were singing about the joy, like we, we bring you joy. Connor was singing, we bring you joy. We bring you joy. And I, I, I felt like the Lord reminded me of where the verse says that the joy that was set before him caused him to endure the cross. What was the joy that was set before him, you all? That was free. So I know that, I know that everyone in here has been called by the Lord. You've heard from God, you received a burden, you had a vision for life and ministry. You were gonna see revival, you were gonna see people saved, healed, delivered, sanctified, set free. You, you had the, like you were just gonna set the world on fire. This was that moment for Jacob. I want you to understand, like this was that moment. That was that for me, July 15, 2007 moment. That was before what happened in Fort Worth, Texas, five years later. It was that moment before I became disillusioned, before I actually learned how to do church, right? It was before I knew how to run a board meeting. <laughs> it, was before, it was before any of those things. This was that moment for him. And he says, I'm willing to serve seven years just so I can have her for my bride. I'm willing to forsake. I'm willing to, wait to, move. I'm willing to move away from my family. I'm willing to sell all my possessions. I'm willing to, to scrounge for ramen noodles, Lord. If it means that we're going to see people coming in the kingdom of God. Many of us, we started off that way, right? And I just hear the Lord saying, I want to bring you back to that moment. I want to bring you back to that moment. Now, by the way, I'm, I'm, never, I'm not angry when I preach. I'm just passionate. I really believe what I'm telling you. Here's, the, here's my fear. Here's what I've witnessed. And I'll back it up with the scripture in a moment. I just want to give the statement. My fear is that many of us have settled 
for something that's related to the original passion and vision that the Lord gave us rather than the original passion and vision that the Lord gave us. Something that's related. What was related? Well, he ended up, we'll read it. He ended up settling for Leah in a moment when his passion and vision was for Rachel. Let's look at this. Man, some of you really won't get touched tonight. Jacob said to Laban, so he'd served for, he'd served for his seven years. He's like, I'm tired of waiting. I'd like, I'd like that innocent lamb and I'd like her to be my bride now. I've, I've fulfilled what you've, like, I'm, I'm ready. He said, give me my wife for my time is completed that, I'm, that I might go into her. And Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. And now in the evening, he took his daughter Leah. He took his daughter Leah. You all know the story. You probably read it a million times. Took his daughter Leah and he brought her to him and and Jacob went into her. And Laban also gave his maid, Zilpah, I can't pronounce that one, but he gave that lady to his daughter Leah as a maid. I'm going to try. Jeremiah can pronounce it later for you. (laughs) And so it came about in the morning that behold, it was Leah. Look, it was Leah. (laughs) Inside joke. Some of us would like to be part of one someday. There you go. Like two of you got that. So he goes to Laban and he says, what is this that you've done to me? Was it not Rachel that I served you for? Why have you deceived me? All right, so... I, I don't know. I, I went, I've been through like, six, I don't know, six, seven years of like... Bible training. And I'm like, why in the world or how in the world did he enter into intimacy with the wrong woman? I don't know how to say that. So. <laughs> like, how, how, how is it that he obsessed over Rachel, the innocent lamb, for seven years? And in a moment, he enters into an intimate relationship with Leah. And you read some scholars, and some scholars like, well, she was wearing a veil. Okay. <laughs> some scholars was like, it was dark in the room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? And then someone else said that, well, it was a wedding, so he's probably drunk. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, again, like, I'm not trying, I'm trying to be a little bit funny. But you mean to tell me that for seven years you served and you served and you did this, that, and the other and you did things that you did not want to do while you had this one prize in mind? And you mean to tell me that it's someone else's fault that you slept with her? Like, I don't... I don't know. Like, I, I personally don't see how that's possible. I, I just don't. I, dark or not, like, 
drunk or not. Veil or not. You know, I was thinking through this, like I thought like my wife and I, we've been married for 20 years. And the first several months of our relationship after like we, we met in college and then we were apart for a little bit because she lived in Kansas and I was living in Ohio and that was some of us, some of us are old enough to remember phone cards. <laughs> and like there'd be times we'd call each other on the phone and we'd talk for 20 minutes and we'd be burning up those phone card minutes doing nothing but hearing each other breathe. And I'm thinking, dude, you ought to be able to even know how Leah, the cadence of Leah's breath. Or not Leah, but Rachel's breath. <laughs> so, so he has this moment, if you will. Now I'm going to say this. Like, again, I, I, I don't, and I'm going to say this. I'll make this statement. I don't believe that Jacob would have even messed up if Leah had not been related to Rachel. Let me say it again, because it'll, it'll make sense. I don't believe that Jacob would have messed up and had intimate, intimate relationship with Leah if Leah had not been related to Rachel. Why? Because I think he said this is close enough. Close enough. Close enough is like the greatest enemy to the church. Like close enough is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades. That's what my papa used to say, right? Because <laughs> that's close. Well, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, Michael. It is true. Now, what I didn't say, verse 17, it says that Leah's eyes were weak. Which you could look at that a couple different ways. Either like, she had a lazy eye. <laughs> I won't tell you that my golden doodle has one because my wife will be upset if I make fun of my dog. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm gonna... No. Either she had a lazy eye or she wasn't pleasing to look at. It said her, her eyes were weak. But I'll tell you what this is. I think this is a prophetic picture of leaders who started out with that great passion and vision. And somewhere along the way, close enough, entered into the picture and when close enough enters into the picture, we, I'm not saying it's 100% of the time, but when close enough enters into the picture, it makes us targets for compromise and manipulation. Close enough can, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Close enough, because you have that vision, like gets skewed, right? Close, close enough Close enough means this. Well, 
My church is growing, but I'm compromising the truth so we can grow. Those us, those, those us in the Nazarene church, our APR is looking really good right about now. Ouch. Close enough, close enough means making things seeker-friendly rather than being seeker-friendly. And by the way, the Bible says this, that, that if he be lifted up, what? He draws all men unto him anyway. And we also started singing this a little bit ago, that the spirit and the bride say come, which by the way is the greatest evangelistic tool that we have is when we begin to partner with the spirit and we say, come Lord Jesus, right? Because right after that, it says, let he who hears, let them come. Who's coming? Those that are looking around saying, what are those guys saying come for? I'm gonna partner with them, right? Close enough, make close enough causes, let's call it for what it is, close enough causes denominations to split over issues called like sexuality where we say, well, maybe it is okay for a man to marry a man, right? Maybe it is okay for a woman to marry a woman. Maybe it is okay for my kids to have some sort of reassignment surgery because that's what they feel they were born as. But we're being loving, I'm not mad. I'm just telling you, that's what it looks like. Close, <laughs> close, close enough is I'm not going to say certain words because it's going to make it a little bit more palatable. It's the truth that sets people free. And truth is a person. His name is Jesus. So, anyway. <laughs> Close enough says, well, you can, that's what I love about what goes on here. <laughs> the phrase April uses a lot, I've heard Brooke uses a lot, like we don't nurture people's dysfunction. Good news is you don't have to keep operating dysfunction. The good news is that you can actually be free. That's, that, that's the woman that has been over for 18 years like this, right? Afflicted by a spirit. Been over, been over, been over, been over. Jesus sees her. By the way, the word been over means this. Yeah, she's been over physically, but been over means that, been over means that she had a lack of courage to face the affliction that was in her life. And because she had a lack of courage to face the affliction in her life, she lived in 18 years of dysfunction. So what would it look like? What would it look like if we stopped saying, it's, it's okay? What if we said, come up higher instead? Right? I, I'm not negating your circumstances. I'm not negating what you think or feel. I'm not negating any of that. I am sure to you it is real. But that is true. But as Jeremiah and Robbo said this morning, here's truth. Well, I sin every day and word, thought, and deed. Get a break. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say stuff like that. Give me a break. No, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah talked about righteousness this morning and, and, and righteousness is another definition that means the blameless innocence of God. I am the blameless innocence of God. I'm not sin waiting to happen. What if we start telling our people, you don't have to wallow in that anymore. You can actually be free. 
Well, you don't know how hard it is. No, you're right. I don't know how hard your situation is, but I know the things that I used to say. I know the things that I used to think. I know the things that I used to do. I live with what's going on in here all the time, and I know that he brought me out of darkness and put me in the marvelous light, right? Close, close, close enough just keeps all of us in maintenance mode putting out fires rather than setting a city on fire. It is true, man. I, 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 like, and I, I, lo- I love pastoring and I love what I'm doing now, but one of my greatest frustrations was ministering to people that knew better. All right. Let's move forward. We, we good? Like, if that's a horse, that horse is, like, sufficiently dead. We good? Okay. Close enough, we, close enough causes us to compromise. Close enough can also cause us to settle for, and again, this isn't 100% of the time, but close enough can cause us to settle for and actually be subject to or be prone to manipulation. We call it a religious spirit. Because the religious spirit by nature is a controlling spirit. (laughs) That's what's going on with Jacob, by the way. He was underneath a manipulator, his father-in-law Laban. Laban's a picture of religious spirit. Here, take this dot. You know the customs. As we told him, I know our agreement, but you know the customs. We've always done it this way. It has to be done this way, whatever. That's why in Romans 12, 1 and 2, like everyone knows this verse. I'm going to read it anyway. Therefore, this is what Paul wrote to, to, to the Romans. He said, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And verse 2, he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Love that part. You can, what's the will of God? I don't know. Y'all prove it. Amen, Michael. So you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. But he says, do not be conformed. you know, be real careful how I say this because I want you to hear my heart. Paul's, obviously there's stuff that us as believers we just should not do, right? Paul's not, Paul's, Paul is writing to an extremely religious culture. Wrong religion. But he's saying don't be molded and shaped by the religious culture that's around you. But instead, be transformed, which is trans, it, it means transfigured. It looks one way, now look a different way. It's the same word that's used in Matthew 17 when Jesus was transfigured, like when Jesus went from looking like us to glowing in the dark, right? Like, it's true. Paul, Paul is saying, don't be conformed, don't be shaped and molded and influenced by the religious surroundings around you, but instead be transfigured or be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Begin to think differently. Like we all know this verse, right? 
I think these others can like testify to this, but all around the country, all around the country, like, like one of the greatest honors is going into a church where you don't know, like to be asked to go somewhere is a great honor. And sometimes you go there and you're wondering like, was I here for the church or was I here for the pastor? All around the country, I've seen ministers and ministers' spouses that have been beaten up by boards or elders or deacons or whatever that are tired, that are worn out, that are frustrated and just ready to throw in the towel. Or they're in places where they're trapped by tradition. And I love tradition. I know, like, trust me, I, I, know our, I know our heritage and history. I love my heritage and history. But if the wind's blowing, I'm going with the wind. Yeah. All around the country, we've seen folks that's trapped by, this is the way it's always been. And because of that, some of us, and, and I don't mean this as, as I hear this as an invitation and a freedom, not an indictment, okay? We've gotten to the place where we're intimate with something that's close to what God called us to do, but it's not fully what God called us to do, and we're doing that in the name of keeping peace. And now I'm not making good. Now I hear the thoughts too, by the way. <laughs> like I hear, I hear it. And, but, but, but you don't know my circumstance. Like I know it. Like some of this stuff's going to take time. Some of this stuff isn't going to be us coming and saying, we're doing this. Some of it's going to be us coming like this. So like I, I, I totally get that. But I just feel the urgency in this hour to say, man, like if we're going to see revival and like I joke all the time, like I am so sick and tired of, of three songs, $20 in a plate and listening to a 30 minute homily and going home and talking about my over my crock pot lunch, whether I enjoyed the service or not. Like I'm tired of that. I want to see Habakkuk 2.14, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I want to see what Revelation says, that, that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, right? I want to see Matthew 6.10, on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see the fulfillment of Isaiah 64.1, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. I'm going to... <laughs> so like I'm not in the gate like I, I get it like I've been in them I, I've, been, I've been in those meetings before right where we are like, like where everyone argued for 40 minutes over what if we was going to use a regular light bulb or an LED light bulb like I've been in it true story I tell that story nearly everywhere I go right like I've been in that so like I understand it but I'm telling you this that us as men and women of God, if we're going to see this tide change, we've got to go get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, there's got to be more to this than what we're currently experiencing, right? There's got to be something that has to be done, God. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to go after you, God. And I'm going to believe you're going to change the hearts of the people, right? And if no one follows me, I'm going to keep pursuing you, Lord. And I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle for close enough anymore. I'm not 
I going to enter into an intimate relationship with close enough? I want the real thing. I want the thing that you originally called me for. I want that. Now, here's the good news, right? Like, here's overnight conference, Michael Perkins beat us up. (laughs) I came to be encouraged. Now I'm feeling worse. (laughs) Good news is it's not too late. I mean, we we, we look right here. (laughs) Again, I know, I know he was deceived. I, I get that. But I actually think sometimes, too, we blame things on other people when we really know that we're the ones that need to change. I can't get any of my people to pray. That's okay. You keep praying. Now, my people engage in worship. That's all right. You engage in worship. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to, like, make it relatable. So even though, even though he entered it, had this night with Leah, the Lord still in his goodness. Gave him his Rachel. Now it took seven years, seven more years to get Rachel. It did. which I think is a prophetic picture that some of you, you're going to go home and things are going to shift immediately. But then also some of you, it's going to take some time. And that's okay. But don't grow weary in your well-doing. Don't give up and throw in the towel. Listen, verse 26, Laban said, it's not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. They didn't agree to that, but Laban throws that in its face, right? Complete the week, complete the week with this one, meaning Leah, and then I'll give you the other one also for your service, which you shall serve me for another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed his week, and he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. Why is that good news? Because I know there's many of you in the room, and you're like, man, I, I am off course. And the good news is the Lord in a moment can redeem that off course and set you back on the right path. Doesn't mean you're going to be where you want to be right now. It means you're back on the right path. Like I'm not where I want to be, but I'm I'm on that right road. I'm on that narrow path. That's good enough for me right now. You could rattle off what, like Genesis 50, what the enemy meant for harm, the Lord's going to turn for good, right? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. We rattle off all those things. The Lord in his goodness can right the ship and right the wrong and restore your first love passion back and you start pursuing him once more. So the question is this. We're going to land it right here. And here in a few moments, the worship team's going to come up. And then there's a ministry team as well. Some people that, 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 that El Hop like, would, has given permission to pray with you type thing. I don't know how to say it, but God's going to answer their prayers when they pray for you.
And so it wouldn't be any good to like point out the problem without giving a prescription. I was thinking about this on the way over here, but you're like, man, I, I just, I don't, I don't know about this. Like, I, I don't know if I can step back. I don't know what the Lord's going to think or whatever we throw in our heads and minds. Like Genesis chapter 3, it's really struck me recently. And you're all real familiar with the story. I'll paraphrase right here, but but Adam and Eve's walking in covenant relationship with the, with, with the Lord, right? Walking with the Lord. In Genesis chapter 3, like, they had just fallen into sin. They had just fallen into sin. And it says the Lord showed up to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That has been one of the most beautiful things that I have, like, the Lord's been teaching me about. They had just messed it up. Now, we believe God's all-knowing, right? Yeah. The Lord would have known that they had messed up, and yet he still showed up for that walk. Some of us, we, we, we need to, we know we're off, but we've been wondering, is there enough grace for that situation? And he's saying, I'm, I'm right here. I'm still showing up day in and day out. You might be trying to hide and cover up your guilt and shame, condemnation, but I'm right here. I'm waiting for that walk. So there's that. And then there's a the story of Jairus, one of my favorite stories. Jairus is the one in Matthew 9 and Mark 5, the synagogue official. He's the one whose miracle got interrupted with the lady with the issue of blood, right? April teaches that story all the time. I'd be like... Like, like he's like, hey, my kid's back home dying. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to go with you, right? And his lady, power goes out through him. I'm like, I'm in a hurry, lady, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd have been grumping at the lady. She crowded. <laughs> you see, Jairus, the synagogue official, Jairus had the highest position possible that a lay person could have in the church. And when you read these accounts about Jairus, it says that Jairus, the synagogue official, left the crowd and fell at Jesus' feet. You know what's so significant about that? Like we read it and we don't realize what we're reading. This dude had prominent, he was in charge. People would have known him. He'd been walking down the street and they'd been like, that's Jairus, right? Jairus said hello to me or whatever, right? Hey, Jairus, let me get a selfie with you or whatever, <laughs> right? Like he was a big deal. He was a big deal. He was in charge of making sure the temple was clean, and he was in charge of the, basically the worship service. That's, that's what he was. He was a big deal. But when he left the crowd and fell at Jesus' feet, he was essentially saying, this thing that I've been given my life to does not have the power to bring breakthrough in my life, so I'm getting back to his feet so that I can see the answers that I need to see. He essentially signed his resignation notice when he did that. Why is that important? Because some of us, the Lord this week is going to ask you to go for broke. 
He's going to say, quit looking to the left or right. Quit worrying about if you're gaining influence and this, that, and the other. But if you would just get back to my feet, I'll give you that passion and you're going to begin to see me move once again. Yeah, team, come on up. Connor, why didn't you hurdle that? Why is that significant? Some of us are going to have to leave close enough behind. And really close enough is a mindset. Because your situation may not change immediately around you, but your mindset and your heart has changed. And if your mindset and your heart has changed, like how many of you understand that the answer for the world around you is the world that's within you? So if the Lord changes what's going on in here, then it begins to change what's out there. Thank you for joining us for this special message from the Lebanon House of Prayer Behold Conference. If you want to get notified about next year's conference, go to thebeholdconference.com and click on the button, get notified. We can't wait to see you next year.